Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Institute for Policy Innovation podcast. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. Today is October 6th, 2022, and I'm joined as usual by IPI's resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. And today, Dr. Matthews, we're going to talk about how we are suffering from a self-imposed energy crisis with no easy solution. Uh, energy has been like sort of the leading, one of the main leading topics of conversation for the last several days. And I think it just makes sense for us to talk about, to try to organize some of this stuff in, in a way to help people think about all the various news they're hearing, whether it's gas prices turning higher again, um, the president, President Biden easing sanctions on Venezuela, uh, the Saudis refusing, the Saudis actually saying they're going to reduce production. All of this stuff is part of a co coherent narrative. And it all, I'm afraid, lies at the feet of the Biden administration. So yeah. let's remember not too long ago, about three years ago, before the COVID pandemic hit, the United States was surging in our production of gas and oil. Prices were low. The economy was strong. Uh, we were exporting natural gas and oil products to countries around the world. Uh, we were patting ourselves on the back. We were touting the fact that the United States was actually outproducing Saudi Arabia. And now all of a sudden, three short years later, we have exactly the opposite situation. We have high gas prices. We have U.S. production down. We have the U.S. going around hat in hand to other countries, asking them to increase production. And I think you agree with me that this is an almost entirely self-imposed, or we might say a Democrat-imposed, a problem on the United States. Tom, we have, we've, we've talked about a lot of unusual policies coming out of the, uh, the Biden administration, but I don't know that I have ever in my 30 years of policy, I don't know that I've ever seen anything more bizarre, uh, contradictory and counterproductive than the Biden and in general, the democratic position on energy, because they have taken so many steps to, basically wean us off of fossil fuels, even as they're taking so many steps to try to keep us on fossil fuels, in large part because you've got an election coming up and other things. It is simply bizarre to see this. And I don't know that anybody in the country can say this is what the democratic policy on energy is right now. So let's go back and look a little bit at a sort of past uh administration policies on energy. During the eight years of the Obama-Biden administration, uh, their official policy was to discourage fossil fuels and to encourage uh, renewable energy. Um, and the great irony was that the fracking revolution really peaked during the Obama administration mm -hmm. years. And it's, it's almost like the one thing that kept the Obama economy afloat was the energy abundance, the fossil fuel abundance that we were experiencing, and that the regulators had essentially not yet found a way to handicap it. And so even though the Biden, even though the Obama administration tried to reduce fossil fuels, uh, the the explosion in availability and productivity and abundance was just so much more that it's, it almost it almost overwhelmed the ability of the Obama administration to regulate it. That's right. And, and, and that, 
this, the things that we're seeing under the Biden administration, we saw under the Obama administration, though in a more muted form. So even though you point out that Obama adopted those various policies of trying to limit fossil fuel, ultimately eliminate fossil fuel production, he, he was in that camp and he was adopting those policies. During the 2012 election, when the issue came up, he boasted that he, he had produced more oil under his administration than any other administration ever. So that was sort of a foreshadowing of this um, completely contradictory policy that we've really seen, you know, taken all the way up to 11 during the Biden years. Right. Of of course, we saw during the Trump years the opposite. Mm -hmm. We saw what happens when an administration takes policies to actually encourage energy abundance. The Trump administration did nothing to discourage innovation in alternative energy sources. But what they did is they took an all of the above approach and they encouraged the development and exploration of fossil fuels. And so, again, you had energy abundance. You had historically high production by the United States. You had low gas prices. You had low petroleum prices. You had low gas prices at the pump. And in fact, you had U.S. energy abundance actually as part of our foreign policy of being able to ship natural gas to our friends in Europe and to help them not be as dependent on Russia. Of course, now we see the real cost of our friends in Europe being dependent on Russia for natural gas. But during the Trump years, we were actually taking steps to try to address that. But now, again, with the Biden administration, it's really been the avowed policy of this administration to discourage oil and gas production like at every point, I mean, one of the first things the Biden administration did was shut down the Keystone XL pipeline. Yep, first day in office. Yep. They shut the Biden administration, shut down leasing on federal lands later on, claimed to to open it back up again. But they shut it down. Uh, it has been the official policy of the progressive movement and the Democratic Party to discourage financing for mm-hmm. oil and gas exploration. You have you have the Biden administration actively discouraging banks from investing in fossil fuels. You have various uh, executive branch agencies like the Securities and Exchange Commission trying to put rules out there that make it harder for fossil fuel projects to actually go out and find financing for new exploration and new expansion. Yeah, and, 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 and let's point out, though, even as they have done that, they were complaining because the the uh, fossil fuel industry was not producing more. Well, yeah, these are all things that essentially happened before gas prices went up, right? And as you have pointed out, of course, everything sort of flipped when gas prices went up. Uh, the Biden administration was even proposing windfall profits taxes on oil and gas companies. And as recently as this morning, I saw a news item that said that the Biden administration is considering a moratorium on all offshore drilling and exploration. So the Biden administration's policy has been essentially to do everything that they can do to make oil and gas prices much higher. Now, as you point out, uh, earlier this spring, when all of these policies combined with uh, the Ukraine war and Russian oil uh, dysfunction. Strategy. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, as soon as gas prices started to climb, then the Biden administration started panicking and backtracking on a lot of this stuff. They started 
they started claiming they were going to reopen leasing on federal lands. And as you point out, they were berating the oil and gas industry for not producing enough. Right. In fact, not only not producing enough, not investing enough, but they uh, berated the oil and gas industry for by saying you have all this federal land that you've already leased and you're not producing on it. Uh, <laughs> so they've they've done several things to complain about the the oil and gas industry not producing enough. And of course, as you pointed out, they've done so much to try to uh, basically discourage production through various what what we call ESG uh, moves and in essence trying to make companies more conscious about uh, getting away from fossil fuels, not investing in fossil fuels. There's been proposed legislation that would uh, that would uh, penalize comp- companies that financial companies that actually invested in fossil fuel uh, production and so forth, trying to discourage hedge funds and others from investing in those things until. They have high gasoline prices, and I don't know what they expected. In fact, Tom, as you and I have talked about before, high gasoline prices is actually part of the strategy. That's exactly right. Uh, In fact, the Green New Deal proponents, uh, the squad and people like that, would tell you right up front that it is the intention of their strategy to make gasoline prices so expensive that it would force people off of gasoline. And there was there was modeling done actually by proponents of the Green New Deal where they acknowledged that if they got their way, essentially if all of their if all of their uh, policies were implemented, it would drive the price of gasoline up to between 12 and 15 dollars a gallon. And they said this proudly that this was their avowed purpose. And the Biden administration has sort of actively and passively adopted a lot of those proposals. And and like we, we went through a laundry list a, a bit earlier on this podcast, everything from exploration to transportation to refining to distribution to export, all of these things have been discouraged <laughs> by Biden administration policy. And so the central point here that we're trying to make is that despite what you might hear you know, on a day-to-day basis from the White House. Uh, This administration has has done everything it can do to create a fossil fuel crisis, a fossil fuel shortage, and these things are not easily rectified. Uh, Earlier today in preparation for the podcast, you and I were discussing the problem of refinery capacity, and our refineries right now are are reportedly all operating at maximum capacity. Mm-hmm. The problem is we've not built enough refineries. And part of why we've not built enough refineries has been environmental policies that make it very, very difficult to build new refineries, that make it very expensive to build new refineries, and also uh, proactive administration policies that are essentially designed to encourage refineries to switch over to producing things like biodiesel Mm -hmm. uh, rather than gasoline and petroleum. And depending on how you, depending on how you uh, define a refinery, it looks like the United States has built no more than, than one or two new refineries since the mid 1970s, which is Almost hard to believe, but it's the problem that we find ourselves in. And one of the problems we have there is that the refi- existing refineries occasionally have to go through and and upgrade in order to meet the regulations. And there have been several of them, including uh, Sunoco, I believe, some years ago, said 
they, it's a major refinery, but they said the plants that we have to do the refining, it was going to cost so much to upgrade them to meet current uh, standards that it was just uneconomic for them. And so they were going to close down the refinery. So not not only have we not built many, many new ones, the old ones that have been going for some years, when it's time to upgrade and just improve, the cost is too much and they simply shut them down. So I think the main point we've tried to make up to this point in the podcast is sort of with the exception of the four years of the Trump administration, uh, you know, what we have had is at least an 11 or 12 year period of time where it was the official policy of the United States government to discourage fossil fuel exploration, refining, transportation, all of these things. And so we have put ourselves in a self-made or a Democrat-made energy problem. And we did see during the Trump years uh, the opposite model. We saw the model where everything was encouraged. And in fact, uh, we were actually able to begin exporting natural gas to our European allies. How much better shape would we be in today? And how much better shape would they be in? How much more bold could our European allies be in defying the demands of Putin and Russia, if for the past 10 or 12 years, we have been aggressively exploring, refining and exporting oil and gas products to Europe. And, you know, the on the export a- aspect of it, we had been by law, we were largely prohibited from exporting crude oil to other countries that changed. I think it was in 2015, uh, the Democrats uh, under President Obama, they allowed us to export oil, but that was in exchange for them getting more uh, tax credits renewed for wind turbines and other renewable energy and so forth. So we saw oil export exports actually start uh, in about 2015, 2016, and that was actually a growing industry. I heard just in the last day or so that Biden is thinking about issuing executive order, trying to uh, stop oil exports. But once again, that the reason you want to have the oil exports is it creates for companies that produce. They know there's a, even if there's for some reason the demand in the U.S. Uh, diminishes for some reason, there's going to be demand out there in the world. So you, in essence, create a major, a larger market for them, which encourages them to produce more. And coming up, if you put if impose an export ban of some kind on the uh, export of oil, it makes it look like Biden's trying to keep the oil here, but in fact, you're discouraging, you're you're removing incentives to produce more. We should point out that that you you wrote quite a bit on that topic, on the fact that it was actually illegal for the United States yes. to export oil. And um, when the Obama administration decided to take that deal, uh, my recollection is that we were almost giddy because <laughs> because. It's like, you know, long term, this is going to be the thing that lasts, right. not not some temporary subsidies for, you know, wind product, wind projects or something like that. And there weren't there weren't the there weren't the restrictions on exporting natural gas, but the there was a natural restriction. There is you have to liquefy it, cooling it to, I think, like 270 degrees below zero or something like that. And just the process of liquefying it and getting it on tankers to ship was difficult, and so it took a while for that to happen. But now we've become a major expert of natural gas as well. I'm glad you made the point about it being difficult because th- this is something we should camp out on for a second. You, 
when you have an administration policy that keeps swinging back and forth like a pendulum, uh, major infrastructure like oil and gas exploration, refinery construction, pipeline construction, those take long-term big capital commitments. And people are not willing to put their money at risk and people are not willing to engage in long-term infrastructure projects like that if they think nine months from now, the administration is going to switch positions and change their mind on something. So one of the things that that business needs, especially very capital-intensive infrastructure businesses, they need predictability and they need stability. And as, as we've pointed out on this and other podcasts, the, the Biden administration has just been all over the map on energy stuff, reversing themselves several times. So it's no wonder that people are hesitant to invest in some of these big uh, fossil fuel infrastructure projects because they need to know that for the next 20 years, the policy is going to be stable and in place and it's not going to change after every two or three years. Well, you mentioned pipelines, and we've talked about this in the past. My recollection is, and this has been a few months ago, that <clears throat> on average they tend to uh, something like 25, 30, 35 new pipelines, oil and gas pipelines, come online every year. At the end, at halfway through the year this this year, only two new pipelines had come online under the Obama um, the, under the Biden administration. Only two, and you if you can't get the gas on oil transported from where it is being uh, extracted to the places where it can be refined, it's a bottleneck that just is, makes it very, very difficult to overcome. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like the political commitments that the Biden administration actually kept were the commitments to drastically cut down on fossil fuel exploration and production. Uh, you not only have a dramatic drop in pipeline completion, but you have an enormous drop in leasing on federal lands. Now, the Biden administration would tell you right now, oh, no, we're we're allowing leasing, uh, exploration leasing on, on public lands. But the statistics suggest that the Biden administration has only authorized a tiny, tiny fraction of what is authorized during a typical presidential administration. So this is the one area where the Biden administration is actually being pretty consistent in delivering on their promises is creating a fossil fuel energy crisis. And that takes me to the sad, sad spectacle that we've had to witness in the last several days and weeks where you had Joe Biden, who promised during the campaign he was going to crack down on the Saudis, Saudis, actually having to go hat in hand and fist bumping and begging them to increase oil production. And then we found out this week that, in fact, the Saudis are going to reduce oil production. And not by a small amount. No. So that's uh, that's really kind of a smack in the face to the Biden administration. And now that has resulted in the Biden administration, uh, you know, almost in a in a in a move of panic, announcing that they're going to start removing some of the sanctions on Venezuela in hopes that Venezuela will start producing and exporting more oil. Now, let's remember who Venezuela is. Venezuela is this pariah country where socialism has crushed the country. Venezuelans are trying to cross the border into the United States through Mexico to escape their collapsing economy, to escape starvation. 
And so you, you've got a president, a, a United States president who would rather see the Saudis and the corrupt Venezuelans receive all of the gains from fossil fuel production, but not the United States. And it seems to me that in addition to all the various inconsistencies that you and I have discussed on this podcast, at some basic level, the Biden administration does not seem to have the United States' best interests at heart when it comes to energy production. They would rather the wealth and the profit from that energy production uh, be earned by the Saudis and the Venezuelans rather than by U.S. producers. And, I, you know, again, I just don't understand it. If we need X plus amount of new oil production, why wouldn't we want that to happen here rather than somewhere else? And the, the, the irony here is, of course, OPEC decided to uh, decrease oil production by 2 million barrels. That's huge, but it's called OPEC plus. So not only will that increase the price of oil uh, here in the U.S. and around the world, but it means that Russia, which is the plus in OPEC, OPEC plus, Russia will be able to get higher prices for oil, which will allow it to continue its war <laughs> longer than otherwise, perhaps, in Ukraine. Secondly, the uh, the issue of Venezuela is is just bizarre because, as we mentioned, the first thing Biden did when he when he was signing, the first thing he did as in, as president was cancel the Keystone XL pipeline, making our Canadian friends one of, if not our top. Uh, ally in the world, and that was going to be Canadian oil coming down, and the Canadians were going to make money off that. He canceled that, and now we're going to go to a corrupt dictatorship, and we're going to make sure that they make money at the corrupt di dictatorship, but not in Canada. That's another really interesting contrast. I mean, the Trump administration, they did, the Trump administration did not succeed at this, but at least the Trump administration attempted to support the uh, democratic movement in Venezuela the movement to see a properly elected a person become president of the country. Uh, it didn't work, but at least the Trump administration was trying to do things to essentially overcome a socialist Marxist dictator in Venezuela. Now we have the spectacle of the Biden administration essentially saying, hey, we're going to reward you. Uh, we're going we're to allow you to prop up your Marxist dictatorship from the production of additional oil because the Biden administration does not seem to have the United States' best interests at heart. They would rather encourage short-term political purposes. And just, just so people understand, Venezuela, it, its primary industry was always oil production. So when oil prices were high, Venezuela did well. When oil prices, even under uh, uh, Hugo Chavez, but when oil prices are low as they were during the pandemic, it uh, it really, Venezuela really struggles. And now uh, Biden, in essence, is going to do a rescue plan, <laughs> or at least proposing one. And and this isn't new. He's been talking about this for the past year. We've had, uh, we've seen issues of um, uh, news stories of people who are U.S. representatives going down, talking to them about uh, uh, perhaps opening up and helping them get their oil on track again. So the reason the reason oil in Venezuela barely produces what it used to is because they nationalized the system, took over the private sector companies' uh, equipment that was there, and then they decided they were going to do it themselves, and they destroyed it because they didn't have the expertise and uh, to be able to make it happen, and that's one of their big problems. 
Sure. I mean, they're still sitting on the same amount of oil that they used to be sitting in. But when you have a collapsed economy, when you when you have people that don't want to work and when when anyone who can, anyone who has the knowledge and skill to do so is fleeing your country, uh, e- even if Joe Biden wants you to increase production, they're going to have a hard time doing it because they just have a just totally dysfunctional economy right now. Venezuela has the largest proven oil reserves in the world. And so they could be it could be the wealthy country it was several years ago, but not with Nicolas Maduro as a head. But maybe Joe Biden will save him. Well, here's the real discouraging thing is that. As winter approaches in the northern hemisphere, we're only going to get worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to see, I'm afraid, new stories uh, in Europe of modern European advanced industrialized countries who are not able to heat their houses and who are not able to keep their manufacturing plants running in some cases. Mm -hmm. Uh, This this could get much, much worse. We could see much higher energy prices. And we at the Institute for Policy Innovation and you and I as people who have studied these things for, for decades, we want to just point out to people that this is almost entirely self-imposed right it's almost entirely self-imposed and when we say self-imposed we're being charitable it's almost entirely democrat imposed because of this anti-fossil fuel uh green new deal uh terror at climate change attitude that they have toward fossil fuels and if you're going to have a transition from fossil fuels to other energy sources, you're going to have to let it happen naturally, and you're going to have to start not phasing out the source of fuel that you're dependent on until and unless you have an adequate alternative that's up and proven and running, and that's not where we are right now. The warnings so, came for years from uh, people, including us, that the European Union needed to move away from Russian oil and gas, but they they rejected the fracking movement. They didn't want to do that. Uh, they wanted to go to uh, renewable energy, and Germany and many others were trying to do that. But now, they even as they were depending upon uh, the Nord Stream uh, pipeline to provide them with uh, roughly 40% of their natural gas, and they were going forward with the... Uh, uh, with the uh, Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And our listeners will recall, Donald Trump actually called out Angela Merkel for doing that and tried to get her to, and tried to discourage her from doing it. She went forward and now they've had to shut down the Nord Stream 2 because of Ukraine and their tensions with Russia. So uh, the people were being prophetic and they, the European Union was simply not listening to the prophecies. Interestingly enough, the new prime minister of the UK, Liz Truss, has said one of the things she's going to do is lift the ban on fracking in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll we'll have to wait and see if that happens. But of course, even if even if she does, these things these things take a very long time they to, take to time. go from startup to where it's actually contributing to your economy. Uh, so it may be that the experience that that Europe is about to go through. Uh, encourage one or more European countries to say, you know what, maybe we should take another look at this fracking thing. 
And, you know, frankly, it can't just be one politician because in England, the prime minister can get changed fairly quickly. So if you're a company and you want to you want to consider uh, putting your material, uh, the facilities, the drilling and so forth in areas controlled by England, you need to have a, a country that's for that, not just one politician to feel like you have the stability to be able to invest the money. Well, let's wrap up. Let's summarize, if we can. Um, I think part of what we're trying to say on this podcast is if we in the United States and if our allies in Europe don't want to be dependent on the Saudis, uh, the Venezuelans and the Russians for energy. And in fact, if countries like the United States want to encourage manufacturing essentially to return to the U.S. from China and places like that, we're going to have to have abundant, affordable energy, not just enough energy for ourselves, but enough energy that we can actually export to our allies as well. And so if you want to have affordable energy, you have to have abundant energy. And an, and a, and an energy abundance policy encourages any and all forms of energy production, doesn't try to discourage any energy production, does not try to take a single megawatt of power off of the electrical grid. And that includes continuing to maximize and leverage the abundant fossil fuels that we have here as a resource in the United States. But I would add, given the debt the United States has, it would include uh, scaling back some of the subsidies we're doing because so many of those companies, renewable energy companies, simply uh, collapse f- once their business model doesn't work. So taxpayers end up spending a lot of money on the renewable energy companies pushed by Democrats, and much of that ends up being wasted. That's a great point. Uh, there wasn't only a single cylindra. There were many, many examples of those sorts of things that happen and will continue to happen so long as presidential administrations try to use taxpayer dollars as venture capital for their for their Green New Deal dreams. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this podcast. We hope you've learned something. Hopefully we've been able to frame all of these issues in a in a way that makes sense. We would invite you to check out our website at IPI.org, where you can find a lot more material, a lot more of Dr. Matthew's writing on energy policy. You can sign up at our website if you'd like to receive notices of all of our new podcasts, new content, and upcoming events. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about giving us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform? You can also help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.